Welcome to Cape to the Cross Apologetics. I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. And we are working our way through What About Evil, this uh, tremendous book by uh, Scott Christensen, who is dealing with the problem of evil, right? And he has, uh, you know, talked to us as we saw, as we have been seeing about his particular theory that he believes solves this problem for the believers, right? This greater glory uh, theodicy mm-hmm. that he says uh, explains why God allows evil, and uh, we're now at uh, you know um, almost almost the end of the book. Actually, we have Sad. really one more chapter to go, and yeah. then and then it's it's over. This uh, this chapter, the cosmic redeemer, we've worked our way through half of it, and we're at the point now where we're talking about um, Christ, the the coming king. Mm-hmm. Right. So we've kind of built up. We've looked at his death and resurrection. Now we're going to look at the, kind of the future. He's been talking to us about this theme of uh, Christus Victor, uh, and he tells us that this also prefigures Christ's larger role as the triumphant king who is poised to return to this earth with commanding authority, he tells us, and power to comp- uh, complete his work of redemption. So there are various aspects of this. First, there's the cosmic redemption, uh-huh. right? Christ is the beginning of all things coming into existence and the end for which they were created. So there's uh, the redeeming of the whole cosmos here, right? So that's the first aspect right. of it. And it's one of the reasons, too, that we uh, we reject the idea that Christ is a created being uh, because all things were created for him and by him and in him. Mm. So, how you know, that whole how do you create yourself type deal it's not uh an uh the archangel michael or or you know some some um uh, uh you know semi deity that uh that comes Demogog, and and and, yeah. and takes out the old testament god cuz he's so mean <laughs> um and so um this this uh, uh john 1 aspect uh, obviously points to um um christ's preexistence as well all right uh so cosmic redemption but also we should expect cosmic judgment. Mm. Salvation in scripture always comes in the context of judgment. And I thought this was a really, really interesting point is that God graciously rescues Noah through a cataclysmic flood that destroys the world. Big deal. God rescues Lot while raining fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. He rescues his people, Israel, by a watery escape while drowning their captors in the Red Sea. So <laughs> again, the, this idea of, of rescue but uh, then, then, then judgment as, yeah. as well here yeah. as, is uh, clear. And so maybe we see that in the cross. Let's see. These motifs of judgment ultimately typify the judgment found in the cross. Hey, look oh. at that. <laughs> there, God's judgment rightly reserved for sinners falls on Christ so that an elect people may be saved through this bearing their condemnation in their stead. Right. So, so just like he rescues Noah through uh, this judgment and he rescues Lot through the judgment, he rescues his people Israel through the judgment he rescues us through judging Christ right, right? so that's what he's the, the point he's trying to make here right he right. we see this so that is cosmic adjustment ju- uh, judgment then there is cosmic glory and just just judgment right Christ uh, he tells us is the lion lamb the uh, incongruity 
presented in this strange identity, he, he says, raises the question, how can the familiar image of our tender suffering Savior morph right, into one clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and that uh, not his own blood, rather, but one who judges and makes war. How can, how can we, you know, how can we put that together, right? Mm-hmm. He says, given the thesis of the greater glory theodicy, we need to ask and answer the question, how does this final act of the Messiah enhance the glory of the Lamb crucified? Does it not present us, he asks, with a radically conflicting image that in the end diminishes the grace and glory of the cross, right? I thought he was loving, <laughs> gentle, you know, savior. Yeah. How in the world then do we reconcile that with this judgment and bloody, you know, dipped in blood kind of uh, lion who is coming to judge uh, the world, right. right? That's the issue here that he wants us to kind of work through. Right. And, and so people that always only want to focus on Jesus as this, this, uh, uh, you know, radical liberal who, uh, you know, w- wants to just, uh, peace, love, happiness. And, and that, that's, <laughs> that's everything. And, and speak against only the, the religious people, uh, well, they need to turn to the next page. And if they didn't like uh, the God of the Old Testament, uh, the God of the New yeah, Testament yeah, is hang on, exactly right? the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so many suppose that if the greater mass of humanity is committed to eternal perdition, then it propels us not towards the beatification vision, but to what Lewis's screw tape calls the miserific vision. <laughs> so not the beatific vision, right. but the miserific vision, yeah. vision right? Yeah. <laughs> of course, uh, screw tape being a demon, probably yeah. that's probably true for, for that. <laughs> uh, if you haven't read screw tape, it's it, it's probably the closest. Forget Frank Peretti; it's probably the closest to what. Uh, demonology <laughs> actually is. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's my C.S. Lewis screw tape letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, it's good. So Diller argues that the uh, Felix Culpa would make sense only if universal salvation, universalism, held true. Walls and Dongle agree. If God chooses not to save many, perhaps even most persons who are born in sin and thereby co-sign them to eternal misery, how can this be a greater good? and determining everyone freely to do right from the beginning. Right. So they're arguing that the only way we can get a greater good out of this is if we have universal salvation. Yeah, or, right? or at least 51% of the, the entire world's population <laughs> who has right. ever lived to, to enter, th- enter through the, the wide gate. That's right. That's right. Get them all through. And so Christensen says, okay, so how do we deal with this, right? Obviously, uh, this seems this is an issue, right? And so we need to work our way through. So first right. of all, Christensen says that we need to frame their, our response uh, he says it pays to uh, reconsider John Frame's important insight. What is that? Well, Frame says that so many traditional treatments of the problem of evil assume that God's ultimate purpose is to provide happiness for man. Ooh. And that's not so, Frame tells us, right? God's ultimate purpose is to glorify himself, right? And so God would not be God if he placed man's happiness above his own glory. The only theodicy, Christensen tells us, worthy of the name is one in which God's glory is supremely uh, magnified. That's the idea here. God is attempting to magnify his glory, not just to make us happy, right? Yeah, yeah. I think this is sometimes a hard point because, you know, we, we do read scripture where it says, you know, oh, uh, you know, don't worry for God uh, knows even when the sparrow uh, falls in the forest and he, he can count the, all the, the hairs on your head if you have any. 
And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's easier that way. Yeah. Uh, so, if so, you don't have it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's way easier on Kotlin. <laughs> and so, so it, it's, it's uh, you know, th- this idea that, um, that well, what is, what is the cross? It, it is, is not the cross an expression of God's love towards us? Well, it seems like a really high price to pay for God, the creator of all things, and whom all things were made, and whom all things continue to be held together to subject himself to humanity and then humiliation and then death and then ultimately rise again. It seems like there's a greater purpose in that than just, uh, I, 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 I stubbed my toe and I, <laughs> I, I, I had a bad day at work and yeah. I, I need a shoulder rub. It, it, there, there seems to be, a, 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 especially in the cross and pointing back to the cross uh, is, is a big um, uh, kind of, trajectory of, of pointing us to where God's ultimate purpose lies. And that's ultimately in, in the glory of himself. Mm. Mm. So furthermore, we have argued that God's glory is magnified in both judgment and mercy and the glory of mercy is enhanced in the face of judgment. So, so notice what Christensen now is trying to work in here. Uh, you know, that um, uh, judgment is part of how God glorifies himself. That's so he's going to continue to bang that particular drum, right? Because that's the issue here. Right. How can a loving God judge? Why doesn't everybody be saved? Well, judgment is part of what he's trying to accomplish, which is to manifest and magnify his own glory. So judgment is part of this. Right. 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 Uh, you know, but life is perfect. I'm a judge. Okay. I don't know what that means, but sure. Well, how does he display that? Romans 9 tells us in, in the fact that he judged. He makes vessels of destruction and, right. and judges them. The, the se- severe the judgment, the sweeter the mercy. The mm-hmm. sweeter the mercy, the greater the glory. Glory is uh, certainly for the believer, but preeminently the glory magnifying the supremacy of our mighty God. Right. So Every- the more severe the judge, the more sweet, uh, the judgment rather, the more uh, sweeter the mercy, right? right? And of course, mercy then uh, show glorifies God. And so we have these things that are interconnected. You have to have judgment in order for mercy to be glorified, right? right? To, to show, reveal who, what God is like, right? right? And, and the, you know, that, that is sin. Sin is the complete opposite of who God is. It's uh, opposite of what he uh, um, supremely desires. It, it's, it's the complete uh, undoing of, of the relationship that, uh, that he wants to have uh, with man. And so, uh, expelling that and turning that around and and uh, declaring uh, um, s- sinful people clean is uh, probably uh, one of the biggest acts of of glory that that an all-powerful God could give mm-hmm. in in that uh, oh it's not just I was always good from the beginning and I'm you know he he, he wound me up and uh, I, I continue to live this life and 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 go to him and he winds me up again it's it's that redemption uh, uh, story. Is, is where we see him supremely glorified because of how antithetical to God sin is. Mm. Every child of God needs to be struck with this hope. The tenderness of the Messiah's grace towards us ill-deserving wretches marked by his voracious unearthly suffering is unimaginably amplified when we ponder the alternative, that what we deserve was to stand naked before a rushing inferno of his fury. There's a reason that Adam hid himself in the garden. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that, uh, you know, uh, Christ was trembling in the garden of, of, of Gethsemane before, before facing 
uh, the wrath of the Father. Uh, the, the, there's there's a reason that the Psalms uh, continually say the the you know the, the, the wrath of God. Uh, you know, the, there, there's a reason that uh, people who have a theophany appearances say, I've, "I've seen the face of God, and now I'm going to die." Mm-hmm. That, you know, even even after the fact that there, there's there's a uh, we were uh, in in the presence of slightly the 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 the, the um, bodily form of Yahweh. And now we're, we're in fear for our life, and so much so when we face God's wrath. Right. And so this mercy then that he shows us, he's, uh, Christensen is arguing, uh, should cause us to bow. And, and because there's judgment, right? So the judgment magnifies the mercy, and therefore we should be, you know, should uh, respond to that right. in humility and love and that sort of thing. Furthermore, he tells us we must humbly consider the rare and precious value of this gift of salvation right. that's God given us. He says that pearls are high, highly prized because they're so rare and acquire extraordinary forces to fashion their exquisite beauty. And we possess a pearl of great price, right? Mm-hmm. 13. And inestimable treasure that came at a cost that no one but the son of God could, could pay. And so pardon sinners, he tells us must soberly cherish Christ's grace, realizing that they form an uncommon company snatched from the vast throng of souls entering the wide gate to perdition. He snatched us out of that. Those gates represent every sinner's justly warranted um, destiny. Yet, here we stand, firm on the rock of our deliverer, having escaped the wrath to come, First uh, Thessalonians 1.10, yeah. right? And so we should be uh, humble, we should be joyous, we should be, you know, thankful for what God has accomplished in us, and clearly that shows his, his grace and his and gives him glory. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's why Christians always go back and touch the cross and run out and then go back and touch the cross. It's, it's why, um, the, the gospel message is proclaimed. It, it, it's, it's, th- this is the, the, the pinnacle display of, of God's message, uh, of, of what he desires, uh, for his people, uh, to, to, uh, be displayed at the cross and, and sin is, is fully rectified, uh, n- not through any works that we we do, but ultimately by, um, who God is and what he's done. And so that's why, um, you know, we, we don't just go, oh, we're, we're saved. Now we can travel uh, right. a, a, along right. the way. It's, it's why we go to church. It's, it's why we turn, uh, turn into your Bibles to the thing that was written, you know, 60 years after Christ's death. It's, it's, it's uh, people living in the time who were going back to the cross and saying, okay, what, what, does, what does this life now, uh, I, was, I was dead in Christ and now I'm alive. What's expected of me? What good works can I do? because I was saved for those good works. And so, um, again, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, the, the, the reason that 10 is, is hooked on to 8, 9 is because it touches back to, to the cross there. Mm-hmm. So if the gate to destruction were narrow or non-existent and the gate to life were wide, then the gate that saves would not nearly be surprised. It would be domesticated, expected. It would be barely be recognized as grace is all. So if you have uh, 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 the majority of people that uh, were saved, say uh, 99% of the population get, gets saved. Well, then the, the 1% is just, oh, well, that's, that's just, uh, you know, the, the offshoot. But 
you know, the, the odds are, are ever in your favor for, for this. <laughs> yes. You know, it, it's, or it's, may they be. Yeah. <laughs> it would be barely recognized as grace at all. Yeah. And consequently, the glory of the Savior would be diminished, which is the exact opposite of what this theodicy is trying to do. Right. If Pharaoh died of an old age and Israel's taskmakers <laughs> grew weary of their tormenting ways, ah, we're going to give up on our slaves. Right. Letting their whips drop by the wayside, who would notice the escape of God's people? Nobody, yeah. right? They, they just, could just wander people. off oh. and it's no big deal, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if the Israelites took the short and comfortable path to the promised land, oh, that was easy. We're, we're carrying our grapes on our shoulder. Those look good. <laughs> While the Egyptians bade them a hearty farewell, ta-ta. <laughs> yeah, see you guys. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for the help. <laughs> Where would the glory be in their deliverance? Yeah, it really wouldn't be a deliverance. It wouldn't be a great deliverance. Yeah. It wouldn't be, you know. Why the hardening of Pharaoh's exactly. heart? Why 12? Yeah. Why why, why go, going back and saying, let my people go? Okay, yes, no, uh, maybe, how about now? What, what, you know, why so many times? Again, it, it's, it's, it's one of those reasons of, of the question isn't, why did God make the world in six days? It's why didn't he, why did it take so many days? And yeah. so why does it take so many times for, for this to happen? Uh, of the people going and, and, and the judgment reigning, it's so that God can be glorified in the, 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 the Passover and the, the Exodus. Yeah. And, and the judgment. And the judgment. And the judgment. Yeah, right. absolutely. And the judgment. Yeah. Right. God is I will show Pharaoh that exactly. I am God. Right. Right. And yep. so God is magnified. God is glorified through not only his grace and in, in his chosen people that he, that they that they escape, but in the judgment, mm-hmm. it magnifies God's grace. It shows how, you know, how gracious God really is. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and Old Testament, uh, the, the, the proverb, or, uh, the, the Psalms uh, pleading God, uh, how long will, will you tarry until your, your judgment comes? Uh, the, the proclaiming of God's judgment isn't just. Oh, we're suffering right now. It's uh, 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 a judge so that those who who kind of spit in your face, who go against your your will, um, will be shown who God is. It's it's talking to God about God of who God is, and and so it's one of the reasons that we we like we should like singing psalms back to God. We're using God's own words to glorify Him in that nature. Right. So the question really isn't. Why isn't everybody saved? The question is, why is anybody saved, right? That's the point he's trying to make here. Are we right? going back to Romans 9 again? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I don't know about uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, God is glorified also uh, through judgment in a further way. Uh, we see this in Romans 5.20 where Paul paints a counterintuitive purpose for God's law. He tells us, Paul does, that the law came in to increase the trespass of sinners, Ooh. right? So that's counter against our intuitions, counterintuitive, right. right? Why would God set up conditions for this to happen, right, where the law increases transgressions? Uh, well, he says, so that grace would abound all the more. That's what Paul tells us, right? So sin and judgment increase so that grace super increases, Right. That's the idea here. Right. So that's part of uh, the purpose of judgment as well. So the increasing and prolonging of transgressions and abject rebellion for the sake of magnifying the glory of grace also explains why God did not immediately destroy the devil. Mm. Just Mm. as he did not immediately wipe out Pharaoh. (laughs) He also allows the old serpent slithering and wicked scheming to persist. Well, you know, why does he allow him into the courtroom and then you know, finally uh, uh, um, juts him out at the end. Since there is no possibility for the repentance or redemption of Satan, we're we're not shown for that, we're 
we're, we're told uh, uh, that, uh, you know, th- there, there's no salvation for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, God didn't come as both man and, and God and angel. And angel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but why not end his reign of terror before it even starts? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and so Christensen quotes Piper, John Piper. And Piper explains, God's purpose is to defeat Satan, notice, in a way that glorifies not only Christ's raw power, because you could have just wiped him out at the beginning. He will. (laughs) But also his superior beauty and worth and desirability. Mm -hmm. Right. The aim of the gospel is to put the glory of the crucified Christ on display and to shame Satan by millions of people who turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and forsake Satan's lies and preference for the beauty of Christ in the gospel. So right. it's more than just destroying Satan and you know showing Christ's power. It's also showing his worth, his desirability, his desirability, and his beauty is what uh, Piper suggests. Yeah, here, right? yeah. It's, it's that that uh, uh, irresistible grace. That's it's you know once. Once God reveals Himself to us, we're we're unable to to resist His will, in in any capacity, and and so, um, and so those that He elected uh, will hear His voice and turn towards Him. So, this requires Satan and his scourge of evil to persist throughout the ages. Darn, <laughs> so that grace may have a long black stage to shine the, that much brighter light. Right, right. Why, why, you know, why do we paint our, our theater rooms black <laughs> so that we can see the TV better? <laughs> so that we can see the, the the colors bounce off and 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 hit us in, in a special way, and we're 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 th- we're uh, we don't we don't notice anything else on on the walls, and right. so it so. magnifies everything else. Right. It shows further portrays everything else. And so that's what he's getting at mm-hmm. here with Satan's long yeah. black stage. Yeah. Or, or, you know, uh, if, if you've ever taken cave tours and they take you about like a mile in or less than that <laughs> and they go, okay, everyone hold, hold on to something. They turn off the lights and they tell you to put, put your thumb on your, your nose and you can't see your own fingers. And then once he clicks on the, the, the flashlight, I mean, that's the brightest light you'll ever see because your eyes have gotten so used to just darkness and, 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 uh, silence of, of only you and the people you're with. And so that, that juxtaposition of, of that light is super bright and hopefully you can find, find the light switch from there. And so <laughs> that's, that's, that's the, you know, the second coming of Christ is turning on all the light switches and exposing the, the evil and, and thrusting it out so that only light uh, then, then shines through. So when uh, Christ finally co-signs Satan and his fiendish hordes to the lake of fire, it will come with all the drama so powerfully typified in the long-awaited exodus of Israel. So right, again, we right. can't help but go back to the exodus because that's exactly what Christ on the cross offered us was an exodus. Right. The, the, the slaughtered lamb, the doorpost, uh, you know, <laughs> again, the, the reason for the law is to point to Christ. The, the reasons for the exodus is to point to Christ. The reason for the long wait in the Old Testament is to point to Christ. The The purpose of the church is to look back at Christ. I mean, all, all these things, again, are situated on the And this is what the, the, the uh, glory yeah, part of the, of the, of his, uh, you know, of his right. uh, uh, theory here t- is talking about, right. right? His theodicy. This is the greater glory theodicy, to glorify God, yeah. to glorify Christ. Finally, he talks about cosmic renewal. Right. And so here with judgment, he says, comes renewal, not just for the redeemed, not just for us, you know, his vindicated children of God, but for our 
habitation, our eternal habitation as well. He says the creation was made for the creature, right? He made this place for us. And so when the creature fell, the creation fell as well, Genesis 3, making it an unsuitable place for glorified children of God to live and carry out their renewed purposes as fully restored human beings. Thus, there is a parallel work, he tells us, of redemption in both creature, us, and the creation, mm-hmm. right? What God has created. So there's a renewal of the creation as well. Right. right. So one last set of question remains. How are distinctive contours of the greater glory theodicy best expressed in the life of the believer now? Mm. How does the believer live out the implications of this theodicy? Oh, that was nice. We're, we're lo- we, we look back at the cross. <laughs> yeah, God we gets glory. God, we get it. Yeah, that's yeah. why he allowed yeah. evil so that he can get glory. So I just yeah. have to live until I die and then the end comes. <laughs> yeah. But is it possible to see how the problem of evil is resolved simply by observing the way in which Christians are called to carry on in this broken world? Mm. How do followers of the theanthropic hero Jesus Christ contribute to the magnification of God's glory in the face of adversity, injustice, pain, and suffering? Well, that's what the final chapter will be. So tune in next time, (laughs) fellow travelers. We open Scott Christian's book, What About Evil? And we'll uh, conclude, uh, again, I'll... The, the length of the pages probably tells me that uh, it'll be another two episode one, maybe three if we throw in the appendix. We're not sure yet, but uh, we'll, we'll see if we can say super lapsarian enough times <laughs> to, to make it come out our, our nose. But uh, hopefully you've been enjoying this book. Uh, again, uh, uh, pick it up. Uh, we've, we've only covered a certain po- uh, portions of this to kind of bring in the, the greater narrative. And so um, uh, do yourself a favor and grab this book. Provide the links below or on our website, Cave to the Cross, that you can go to. Uh, you can check out the short links either on YouTube or on uh, our on on the website. If you don't want to watch us, you can just listen to us. If you don't want to do that, we'll just uh, turn the volume down and, and put us in a playlist and, and leave your <laughs> computer alone. So, uh, But anyway, uh, we, we thank you for, for joining us in our little book club, and uh, we'll uh, see you next time. See you next time.